Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Please grab your assigned seats. Make your way there and get comfortable as we continue to file in and say hello. So good morning and welcome to South Coast Community Church. Uh, we're, we're very glad you're here with us this morning. Uh, my name's Jamie. I'm the associate pastor here. And uh, just want to make sure that you, you're welcome. You know who we are. We few people, key people, have some name badges. We have Kathy at the back table over there. If you need anything, she's our administrator. If you wanted to um, sign up for next week's service, uh, you want to see Kathy or you want to email her at kathy at sccc.org. We try to do that by Thursday, so that way we have a nice little seating assignment and all of our numbers organized before then. It makes it life way easier for, for Kathy and in turn for Brian and I. Oh, she caught that. So, uh, again, we want to thank you all for following the guidelines. We thank you for wearing your masks as you enter and, and move about uh, the room. Uh, obviously, as you sit down, you can take them off when you sing and things of that nature, but... Uh, we ask you to please continue to follow those guidelines, uh, not per the order of the state, but also uh, our landlords who are letting us use this place. Uh, we want to make sure that we respect their wishes, and uh, we're thankful for this space. Amen. Mobile ministries. Um, so in the past, and what we've do, done up until this point was uh, we would have boxes set up, and I think they might even still be out there. We need to move those because... Um, what we're, we're asking now is, is that any donations that are going to mobile ministries, that they would go right to the mobile ministries, uh, right to St. Paul's, where mobile ministries is stationed, if you will. Um, there's a box there uh, outside the church, and they're um, ready to receive those donations. We're trying to limit the number of hands that come in contact with these donations, um, and also because um, right now we are not doing a Thursday night run, so it's just an added step in, um, in the process. So we're asking that if you could make those donations directly to them. St. Paul's, it's on the corner of Rockdale Avenue and Kempton Street. And again, there's a, a big box over there. So um, we also, it was brought to our attention that, you know, a lot of folks after church, and, and rightfully so, we want to see each other, talk to each other, even as we exit the building and we're outside. Um, we were just asking, it was brought to our attention, that people were congregating in front of the door in close proximity, not practicing social distancing with no masks on. And so that was brought to us, and so we're bringing it to you to ask you to please cross the street. Problem solved, right? That way we can't get in trouble. Perfect. Just, you know, move down the sidewalk, cross the street, whatever, but don't congregate in front of the door without masks on and, and without social distancing. Really simple solution to a, to a, to a silly problem. Um, November 1st, as of the 1st of November, that first Sunday in November, we're going to be moving back to our, um, our regular service time, which is 10.30. So um, some of you probably shouldn't know that. <laughs> just kidding, as people straggle in. Um, but just so you know, we, we want to make sure that, you know, as of November, everybody knows we're going back to the 10.30 start time. So you can probably mark your calendars for that. And if you're someone who's perpetually late, just don't even mark your calendar, okay? We also have uh, connection cards. They're out in the front foyer. If we do not have your, your phone number, your email, uh, your address, blood type, whatever it is Kathy needs, um, make sure you fill one of these out. 
What's that? Yeah, DNA. Yes, she favors the Swedish. Um, if you could, please fill one of those out. And it makes it really easy for us for communication purposes. Kathy loves to send out her emails and tell you how her cats are doing. Um, and so, you know, you don't want to miss those, just so you know. Um, but in all seriousness, we do want to have a way to contact you in case of emergencies, changes, or updates, prayer. Uh, we send out often prayer uh, requests, uh, uh, you know, in the church, like things that are going on that we're asking you to, to pray with us in agreement. And so it's great for us to have that and for our record. So please, if you haven't, it takes two seconds. If you just want to give us your name and phone number or email or, or something like that, it's simple. You don't have to give us all of that stuff. But just a way for us to contact you. Email is, is really important, though, because of all the messages that go out. So with that being said, um, some of you were here last week. We had a great time. We, we dedicated my son, who is now a year old, and um, my family was all here from out of town, folks who don't normally show up. And then Brian decided that he was going to get some retribution for things that I did to him as a kid. And he put up that beautiful picture of, uh, that I actually made of him carrying me in a baby carrier. Um, and I thought, man, you know, I have so many things on this guy. I really do. I, I have pictures. I have stories. I mean, I could tell you about the time he lit himself on fire. That was interesting. But I'm not going to do that because I'm the bigger man. <laughs> I'm obviously the bigger man, regardless of stature. So I'm just going to say, touche, touche. Watch your back. So anyways, I was a master of revenge growing up, and he knows that. That's why he walked forward because he's nervous. And that's all right. Uh, the Lord has delivered me. So I'm going to have Brian come on up and, and open up this morning. So love you, brother. <laughs> I got a way to remotely kill the computers if we, uh, we start getting some, some pictures there. Well, good morning. Give me a second here. Let me update this. I had a, a trying week. Anybody have a trying week? Anybody have a few things they went through maybe this week? Maybe, maybe a little discouragement. You know, when I, when I prepare my sermon, sermons, I, I try to be prayerful. I ask the Lord to speak his truth to me. I ask him to help me to be a vessel so he can speak to each one of us, his church. And sometimes I fail, but he never fails. Amen? So has anyone in this room ever been discouraged, ever in your life? All right, good, because I just wanted to make sure when the Lord impressed upon me that maybe we needed to be encouraged, maybe we needed to be reminded of the joy we have in the Lord, that I was in the right place. And I think some of you maybe are discouraged right now. Some of you perhaps have been discouraged for months Tragically, perhaps some of you maybe have been discouraged for years. Maybe you're here and you've lived so long with a sense of, of sadness and frustration that you sort of become used to it. Because we, we can tell ourselves all sorts of lies to, you know, confirm that we're supposed to be where we are. Somehow maybe it was our fault or we deserved it or, well, everybody's got it bad and that's your, your cross to bear. I spent a lot of time this week in particular reading and preaching. I had 
uh, three one-hour sermons I preached at Teen Challenge. So there were three separate sermons, but it was three hours preaching in one day. So I was preparing for that. I had a paper to write for a pastoral counseling class, and then I had last week's sermon and this week's sermon. And all that to say I've been in the Word a lot. I've been, you know, I've been pulling stuff out because it's, it's different when you're just reading the Bible to read out. When you, when you have to pull out truths to be able to, to express and, and preach and teach those things. And so, fortunately, I was in that place where I was just saturated with, with the Word. Because Jamie and I suffered the loss of another friend this week. To alcohol. Drank himself to death. Three or four times we got the word that, hey, if you don't stop drinking, you're going to end up dead. Again and again and again. You see, educated guy, nice guy, fun-loving guy, discouraged guy, guy who faced a lot of struggle, thought joy came in a bottle. And Jamie and I talked to him many times when he was discouraged. And I think he was deluded, too. I think he couldn't admit to himself how bad things were, and so he tried to escape. Some of us can't, can't face our reality, and so we try to escape. You see, he got used to struggling up and down. Some days are good, others are bad. And life is just a series of emotional reactions to whatever comes your way. And for far too many people, I think, even Christians, good days or bad days are determined entirely by what the day brings. Which means that especially lately, with all the turmoil politically, socially, with COVID, things are really tough. And so we live with increased anxiety and increased fear, and all these emotions are leading us. Let me tell you right now, that is not what God intends for us. We are not to be led by what we think or what we feel instead of the Word of God. And whenever what we think or what we feel comes against the Word of God, this is we, what we must do. Paul uses this word, and it's a good word to use. We must demolish that idea. 2 Corinthians 10.5 We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That means any notion, any feeling, any emotion, any perception we have that is not led by a biblical worldview must be, must be arranged and seen through revealed biblical truth. And that, that truth must demolish our wrong thinking. Jesus did not die a death on the cross so that we could live joyless lives. In fact, the expression joyless Christian is an oxymoron. It's really like saying Christless Christian. Paul, in his letter to the Galatians in 4.15, asked them this question, Where is the joy you once had? And the Lord is asking the same thing of us, his church, this morning. Because here's the thing. If you don't know the joy of the Lord before a trial, then you risk not seeking him in the midst but the encouraging thing is for those who have known great struggle and met Jesus there, there's just this sense that no matter what, we have Jesus. It's a sustaining truth. And some of you need to encounter Jesus in that way today. Because I tell you, 
you know, not that, you know, my reactions are always correct or life's always easy or any of that. But there's not a day that goes by where I don't go, Jesus, we're good. Like you and me, we're good. We got this. There is nothing that's going to come my way that I can't handle with the Lord. Nothing. He's proven that again and again and again. And so every step of faith I take, I see him show up again in a powerful way. And so that's the, that's the kind of faith I want us to have. But it takes that first step of faith, and it's scary. And once you take it, it's always difficult, but it gets a little easier going, Lord, I know you walk with me through the death of my father. You walk with me through a broken marriage, through addiction, through this struggle, through that. Lord, I know we got anything. You th- when, the, when time, before time began, the Lord know the coronavirus would come. The Lord know the turmoil. The, the, nothing is happening right now in our lives and in this world that is a surprise to the Lord. Who's sovereign and good overall. This is part of his plan. Maybe it's not part of your plan or my plan, but then what we need to do is we need to get ourselves aligned with his plan and make sure we're saying, Lord, use me in your plan. I'm going to try to stop using you in my plan because that's what we do. And so that will hopefully preach to each one of us this morning. Why don't we stand as we transition to worship? Morning, church. Um, I just wanted to share something quickly that... um I had been talking to the pastors about, I wrote it down so I could <laughs> try to get through it, um, but it was speaking on what the pastor was just saying about destroying any argument that's not of God, um, giving confidence to us in the word. Um, both our pastors in the past weeks have been um, quoting from the Westminster Catechism, and it says the chief end of man, or what is the chief end of man, and the answer to glorify God and enjoy him, enjoy him forever which is a powerful, concise, and biblically accurate statement. But before I go any further, like the pastor said, the Bible is the highest authority that God has given man. Amen. The subject I'm talking about, though, the catechism, however, is a powerful tool for unifying the body of believers and strengthening them in their confidence for apologetics, for discipleship. It's a helpful reference that accurately draws out the vast, amazing truths of God's word in a straightforward question-and-answer format. I know the name alone kind of raises some eyebrows, catechism, and myself up until a couple years ago, I thought it was just about Catholic dogma. Quite honestly, I didn't understand what they were. But truth be told, some of the greatest theologians gathered together to write confessions of faith and lay out the truths of the word of God and what we should believe. Then wrote these catechisms to teach these confessions to the people of God so they can have a clear understanding. And in a cyber age where we live, there is so much accessible information out there, good and bad. And I know for myself, sometimes I find myself lost in the weeds. Right? Our God, I mean, forgive me, our pastors are here to lead us in the way we should go. But also, catechisms are just an amazing tool to safeguard us from being led astray. For me, these catechisms have become really helpful tools that help me to better understand the specific doctrines while also channeling my study and keeping me on course when trying to uncover the truths of God's revealed, God revealed through Scripture. If we use this sort of like meat and potatoes scripture um, script of our theolo- theology laid out before us, we can find new confidence in our ability to share the word disciple 
and and just for apologetics as well to encounter the world around us and like pastor said destroy any argument that's not of god first peter 3 15 says sanctify christ as lord in your hearts always being ready to make defense to everyone who has who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you yet with gentleness and reverence amen our god is good and I know for me, I want to know his truth and his promises and have them sealed on my heart without fear of corruption and being misled. So that's why I, was, I wanted to bring this to you this morning. Um, would you please join us now in worship as we sing of God's faithfulness and his goodness? Second Corinthians 1.20 in the NLT, it says, For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes, and through Christ our amen ascends to God in his glory. Amen. You have poured out grace You brought me out of darkness You have filled me with peace Give of mercy You're my help in time of need Lord, I can't help but sing Faithful you are Savior, you have brought me near. You pulled me from the ashes. You have broken every curse. Blessed Redeemer, you have set his captive free. Lord, I can't help but sing. He's faithful.
rest on your promises, God. And I will rest in your promises. My confidence is your faithfulness. I will rest in your promises. My confidence is your faithfulness again. And I will rest in your promises. My confidence is your faithfulness. trust you, Holy Father, our cornerstone, our rock that we build our faith upon. Amen. Yeah. 
shall come with trumpet sound oh may I then in him be found dressed in his righteousness alone faultless stand before the throne in Christ alone cornerstone Weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of all. Yes, God. You're Lord of all, Holy Father. Revelations 2, 11 says, Then I looked, I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worship worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Sing a new song to him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. worthy.
Yes, Father God, you are the Holy One, Lord, the one that we praise, the only one who's worthy of our praise, God, the only one that could open the seal, Holy Father, our perfect sacrifice. Lord, be with the messenger this morning, 
May he betray your truth to his people, Father God. And may our hearts be open and accepting of that truth, God. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. With creation I sing praise to the King of Kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you. Sometimes, you know, sometimes the preaching's in the lyrics of the worship. You know, sometimes we repeat phrases, we repeat scriptures, and just the, the profound sense of truth that that echoes. I don't know, you know, I adore a lot of things in life, right? I adore, you know, that, that word just conjures up this affection, this comfort. Do we adore Jesus like that? That's the prayer, that's the, that's the cry of our hearts this morning, that's the reason, reason we gather week after week to fall deeper in love with the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible is God's love story, Jesus is a, the incarnation, God in the flesh, a, an illustration, a living example of the character and the nature of God. And so that's why we're here, and the power is the power that comes from His Word and His Spirit, and so we're all changed and, and, and uh, affected by the profound truths of the gospel and eternal ways, and he uses us as vessels. Amen. I want to apologize to some folks downstairs who are coming in. We're still trying to get the seating right. There's a lot of moving pieces. People sign up. This changes. We get it. But I want to apologize. So if you come in and there's confusion or we're not sure where you're sitting, please just bear with us. There's a, you know, it's a lot, and so I know a few folks came in, and they weren't sure where to go, and, but please, if you do show up, we're going to find a seat for you. Obviously, we need the reservations in advance, but if you forget, don't turn around and go home to kind of clear that up, because I know there's been some, some issues there. Well, I don't know how many times I heard the expression, canary in the coal mine. Has anybody heard that? right? Half the people, maybe. I probably only maybe a couple years ago looked up, you know, you hear things and you don't really, you know, think to look them up or, or it doesn't matter what it means necessarily and so whatever. And so I looked it up and I found out that's what some of you I'm sure know, that coal miners know that dangerous gases can gather silently in these tunnels, that those, those gases are not only poisonous, but they're explosive and so in the early days of coal mining, they found an infective low-tech solution is bringing canaries into those coal mines because apparently their metabolism is very sensitive to air quality. And so as long as they continue to sing and chirp, the miners know the air is safe. But as the gas levels rise, they're so sensitive that they stop singing. Eventually, they'll fall off. But when they stop singing, they know there's danger. This danger that I can't see, that I can't even recognize, but it's there nonetheless. Christian joy is like the singing yellow bird. It is one of the most vital gauges on the dashboard of the Christian life. And when the needle dips and we lose our joy, we should take note because we are in danger. One of the first effects in our lives of, of doctrinal ever, of, of ongoing sin, is that we lose our joy in Christ. 
And whenever I say joy here, I mean genuine Christian joy, which we're going to define, but it's distinct from uh, happiness. It's distinct from just a feeling that comes from the outside. If you think about it, happiness is dependent upon what's happening, right? Joy is eternal. It's internal. When our heart stops, that should be a warning, Christians, to take a look at our lives. But see, we can lose our sensitivity to it, right? We might need to get a better sense from other people. From an outside view, I have a confession to make. I know I make a lot of confessions. You guys are cheaper than therapy for me. So I can make confessions here. And I know David's billing me now. This is not therapy, David. I'm just using the group rate. I know I make a lot of confessions, but months and months back, Beck and the kids made a comment to me. And they said, Dad, you just seem angry all the time. You're always so frustrated over little stuff. And I'm like, well, you know, not all the time, just like, yeah, like a lot lately. I was like, man, how? First, I was, I'm sure Becky's like, no, you didn't, you didn't. At first, you were like, no, I'm not, and, you know. But, so, let's just assume there was a couple hours of me, you know, trying to deny, or what do you mean, or that can't be true, or, right, they're all wrong. But at some point, I stopped and I said, man, I, I hadn't really noticed that. I lost my sensitivity to that. I suspect, like many of us, I just got caught up on getting things done. I mean, I want to be effective. I want to be productive. But in the very process of doing good work for Jesus, because I'm, I'm doing good work for Jesus, but I neglected something as simple and fundamental as being patient and kind with the people I love most on the planet. And how, how easily we can veer off track. It was a big deal. Maybe we should ask our family if we're joyful people. Because if I say, are you a joyful Christian? You might be like, yeah. You know, today was a good day. I woke up. Somebody in front of me and Duncan paid for my coffee. Which I don't know. Just as a little side note, in the last two months, that's probably happened to me 20 times. In the last 20 years, it's probably happened, you know, once or twice. In the last two months, 20 times, I go on the drive-thru. Somebody paid. Anyway, side note. But some of you are like, oh, yeah, I woke up, you know, had a good day. Everything was great. I'm joyful today. That's not what I mean. I mean, if somebody were to look at your life, if I would ask your family, does that person, do they live with joy? Not a naive, you know, gloating, everything's wonderful. That's not what this is. This message is about joy, but it's much bigger than our joy. It starts with our joy. But much like our ministry, our lives, it, it's an overflow of the Christ in us. You see, our joyful living expresses the active hope we have in Christ. I'm going to say it again. Our joyful living expresses to people the active hope we have in Christ. We, in fact, become living epistles to the world. D.L. Moody said the scriptures were not given to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. One of the great weaknesses in the Western church is the trafficking of unlived truth. 
Too many people fumble to communicate what they have never experienced. I don't ever want anybody to be able to say that about South Coast Community Church. Amen? So three things we're going to kind of look at. Three points today. Joy centers us in Jesus. Joy helps us to become mature disciples. And joy can't help but make us good evangelists. Those are three things we're going to look look at. The man who some call the, the father of psychology, certainly he was the father of, 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 of psychotherapy or the father of the modern idea of therapy, Sigmund Freud, had this profound truth. One day, in retrospect, the years of struggle, struggle will strike you as the most beautiful. One day, in retrospect, the years of struggle will strike you as the most beautiful. Profound, Right? 1,800 years before Freud ever spoke a word, James wrote of the benefit of struggle as it relates to developing, or maybe I should say embracing, a joy that provides a mature and complete human experience. 1,800 years before that. Freud writes and everybody goes, he's brilliant, this guy, the the depth and the understanding of the human. The Bible's like, yeah, no, we had had that. That That was here. Consider it pure joy, James said. Why? Because biblical joy, this is what biblical joy is, right? It's choosing to respond to external circumstances with an inner contentment and satisfaction because we know God's in control. And we know he's going to use whatever it is to accomplish his work and will in us and in the world. Listen, I, I get in the flesh the anxiety and the uncertainty. I get it. I'm not removed from that. But this comfort in me knowing this is part of God's plan. Like, he's not surprised by this. He's going to use this. And there can be people on the sidelines that keep going, oh, you know, whoa, is me. What am I going to do? And I don't want it to be like this. And things need to change. And there's people that go, Lord, in the midst of this, use me. Whatever you need, I'm right here. Because as difficult as this may be for us in the body of Christ, This is a tremendous opportunity for ministry. Our church is growing right now in the middle of a pandemic. We're growing. We have more people. We have new faces. And if you're here this morning, welcome. But we have new folks coming. Why? Because there's a spiritual sensitivity when everything you've ever kind of put your faith in, everything you've ever put your your security in, your finances, your health, your relationships, the economy, the government, all those things you realize they're not as, as safe as you thought they once were. Maybe I need to think of ultimate things. I was telling somebody the other day, you know when you're a kid, you think adults have it all figured out? You look around and you just get a sense like, luckily they're in control because this world is overwhelming. And then you become an adult and you look around and you go, yeah, nobody knows what's going on here. This is just crazy. Like I thought somebody in the room was an adult, but no, this is, I don't know what I'm doing. Right? See, I'm speaking to you from experience when I say struggles become joyful when we trust God in the midst. Struggles become joyful when we know God is using them to accomplish his work in us. You've heard me share the very worst day of my entire life. And a lot of you haven't heard, and so I'll say the worst day in my entire life was the day that my sin, my addiction sin 
my sin addiction, because we all have one, it doesn't matter what it is, but my, my, one of my addictions, right, my external sin, my biggest, uh, my biggest manifestation of pride in my life, because that's what sin is, when that finally took me to the place where I was so broken and worn that my family dropped me off in Brockton at a program called Teen Challenge, and I'm sure they had little hope in me. I couldn't see any future. I wasn't just discouraged. I was sure that I was at the end. That was what my life had become. I did not have hope, but the people around me, the church, this church, they had hope. They brought me, like we preached about last week, the man on the mat. They carried me to the feet of Jesus. And so as I stand here before you now, that day, that day, and the months and years to follow up until this date where I've learned the value, the ultimate value of true surrender, because you can't be a Christian and not surrender, right? I know some of you think you can, but you can't. Let me dispel that notion. I look back on that struggle, and that would prove to be the best thing that's ever happened to me in my life. Because if you can learn of the joy of Christ in the middle of despair, when everything around you is falling apart, and you can stand there and say, it is well with my soul, you can go through anything. This is nothing that's going to happen that we can't get through with Christ. The joy of salvation, the first gift of God. It's not that complicated. You can test this. You can do an experiment. Some of us have been doing this experiment for years. We just didn't know it. Look at times in your life and tell me if this is true, right? If your soul is satisfied in Christ, you'll rejoice in Christ. If your satisfaction is in Jesus, man, you're joyful. Test it out. And when you take your eyes off Christ, you lose your joy. You can keep doing it. You can look back. Sometimes in the midst of it right now, it's hard to see. Sometimes the perspective of of looking back. But either way, that's what some of us do all the time, right? What are you satisfied in right now? What is your ultimate satisfaction found in? Because if it's not in Jesus right now, when struggle comes, when things really start to get worse... In God's grace and mercy, he brings us to the foot of Jesus, but he'll let you go. You'll do 30 other things first, right? Well, life's rough. You know, I can't manage. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. I'm going to call this one. I'm going to call that one. I'm going to take this. I'm going to take that. I'm going to read this. I'm going to read that. And then we finally find a way. We're at the end of ourselves, and we meet Jesus in in that place. Christian joy is a barometer of your spiritual life. It always will be. The joy we have in Jesus cannot be extinguished by our circumstances. Now again, I said don't confuse this unique joy with other feelings. Because genuine Christian joy is not the power of positive thinking. It's not just like an upbeat, optimistic outlook. Joy is not being happy because life is going my way. It's not a naive, half-glass attitude. 
what Jesus himself connected our daily spiritual life with joy. He said, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. These things I've spoken to you, I've told you this, I live this out, I've come to you, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Man, what if that was like the scripture that we lived our lives by? What if that one promise permeated everything we did? Jesus came that we could have his joy in us and that our joy may be complete. I don't deserve that. Wow. What if we believe that? See, Jesus is telling us the way to joy. He's saying, dwell in the love of Christ. I love that word. Abide, dwell, remain, stay. In other words, live life from that place. Don't visit. Dwell there. You know, we hear the phrase, the joy of salvation, and sometimes I think we're not quite sure what that means. But Jesus says it. His joy in us, that's what it is. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. I've heard it described that joy is the emotion of salvation. It's the expression of the gratitude. It's the expression of the understanding what Jesus did. It should be inevitable. And that's why I said our doctrine matters. Because if we understand that truth, doctrine matters. We don't live joyful if we're living condemned lives, if we're living lives and we're still, you know, in the grave and we're still in guilt and shame. And I'm not talking about walking around like Jesus wants you to drive a Ferrari. That's not what I'm saying. It's not about material blessing, but it is about spiritual blessing. He absolutely wants you to be filled with joy. If Christians don't have joy, who are the only ones who have any reason for hope and joy, we're the only ones. If we don't have it, it's a, it's a, dark, it's a dark place. It's a dark day when the church has lost its joy. We can't generate it ourselves. It's the product of the Holy Spirit in us, the fruit of the Spirit. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Think of it this way. It explains the condition of those who are aware of God. It, 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 it springs up from an awareness of God. Your, your goal isn't to try and generate the fruit. Your, your goal is to make sure the conditions are optimal to remove the weeds. But God, as a natural overflow of his working in your life, of his love for you, is going to produce this fruit. Most of the time, we just primarily need to get out of the way. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. By the way, it's not fruits of the Spirit. They're not exclusive to one another. They work together. This, this, this means that these words are an expression of who you are to become in Jesus. Remember later on, we got to, well, weeks ago, but for, further on, Jesus will get to the Beatitudes, right? How we ought to live. What it looks like in our heart, not externally, not a list of religious ways the church should look, but a list of the postures of our heart, being meek, being humble, being peacemakers, kind and gentle. We need the Holy Spirit to prune away whatever hinders our joy 
and empower us to make choices to move toward joyful living. Joy is a gift. But we are responsible for the conditions that hinder joyful living or allow us to embrace it. I like this description. I read this. Joy is a glorious gladness and a deep delight in the person of Jesus Christ. It is a glorious gladness, appreciation, affection for, and deep delight in the person of Jesus Christ. And it can't be extinguished. It's God-given. It's greater than any trouble that comes into my life. As the prophet Habakkuk, Habakkuk says in 3, verse 17 and 18, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. In other words, when I'm not just having a bad day, but when nothing's going my way. You know what I'm talking about? You know those days? When everywhere you look, you see obstacles. When, when you get, you know, you get to that place, normally you can be like, well, I got to find what I'm grateful for. And you get to that place where you're so clouded and the enemy's got you so that you're like, I got nothing. I'm not grateful for anything. And the kids are this and the wife's this and the job's this and the money, you know, you're just all negative, pity party. My wife calls it in her, you know, emotional support role. You having a pity party? Well, I was, dear, but I'm not anymore. Thank you. Though the fig should not blossom, there's no fruit on the vines. Though nothing's going my way, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. It's one thing to rejoice and be joyful when everything's going your way. But then the question is, what are you really rejoicing in? Is it the presence of the Lord? Even when things are not going my way, Jamie not long ago, I heard him preach, and he said, even if. I might say, especially if. Because then I know my joy is fully in the Lord. If you can praise him, if you can really find joy in the midst of craziness, if everyone around you looks at you and, like, you know, Job's buddies, you know, gives you all kind of advice, and, you know, try this, try that, it's this, it's that, everybody, useless advice, blah, 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 right? You go on Facebook trying to get your friends to tell you what to do. It's all garbage, everything you hear. And if, you, if you're in Job's situation, even your wife, you're like, honey, you're like, I'm getting no support. Like, this is, this is horrible. My life's going. Everything's bad. And she's like, yeah, cu- curse God and die. Like, thanks. You're a great wife. Job wasn't just having a bad day. What, 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 what did he say? He, he was human. He dealt with it. He didn't understand it. There was some back and forth. But what did he say? You know, naked I came, naked I was born, naked I'll die. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's no less great when he's not doing what you want him to do. If you can praise him in the storm, you will find ultimate joy if you can praise Jesus in the storm. That's where It's as real as anything in your life. That's where your Christianity is beyond question. That's where your faith is increased. When you can say, Lord, I will, in the midst of this storm, praise you. I will 
I will be joyful in what I have in you, my salvation, my eternity, my peace, knowing that I'm a citizen of another place. Daniel 3, 16 through 20, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, who we serve, he's able to deliver us. King, authority, the person in charge, our God, he can deliver us. He's bigger than this. That's trust. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of the blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. That's faith. King, just so you know, we don't even have to listen to you, but here, for your benefit, this is what I'm going to tell you. Our God can deliver us. Our God will deliver us. But even if he does not, that's hope. That's saying, even if he doesn't, he knows better. His ways are higher. His ways are better. I'm not even going to question because I know his goodness and his character, and I trust him unequivocally. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we're not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that, that you set up. Let it be known that whatever the culture throws at me, that whatever lies the enemy tells, that whatever idols are out there, that whatever things seek to attract me, that no matter what it looks like, I will serve God until my last breath. No turning back, no question. It's not optional. Because I know the joy of the Lord. As a spiritual barometer, joy is not a slave to circumstance. The light of Jesus' face shines brightest in the darkest night. Jesus tells us in John 16, 22, no one will take your joy from you. People say, well, you know, this is happening and that's happening. You're allowing people to rob your joy. You're forgetting who you are in Christ. You're dwelling on, you need to demolish those things of the world, those things that keep coming into your head that go against the truth of Scripture. Demolish those things. We need to recognize the power of the Word and apply it to our lives because we don't. We don't use it as a weapon, offensive or defensive, and we wonder why we keep getting slapped around by the enemy, why our lives and ministries seem to lack effectiveness, and the Word has no place in our lives. Beyond the necessary groundings, beyond the necessary grounding us in the truth of Jesus' love, real joy helps us in our daily walk. It's a practical gift. So I want to look at some of the ways that enables us in practical ways to be disciple of Jesus. And I say it enables us instead of helps us because we can't live for Jesus without joy. So it's not like it's an aid. You can't be joyless and live for Jesus. So it, it doesn't help, it doesn't assist, it enables. That it's, it's the source. Joy centers us in Jesus. Joy centers our lives. Joy brings us comfort. This, don't forget, you know, this, this notion of, of peace, of joy, of, uh, of security. It, it's tied into each other. It's a, it's a, it's a sense that everything's going to be okay. It's a, it's a celebration of what Jesus has accomplished for me. And that I'm walking in what he's accomplished. 
Joy helps us to become mature disciples because this is what I think joy does, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flesh it out. I think joy protects us of the two extremes. There's two extremes in religion. There's legalism, right? There's religiosity. There's it, it about our works and about what we do. And the other side, there's hedonism or there's license. And I think joy will protect us against those extremes. In a sense, I think joy is what keeps you safe as you serve the Lord. Because here's the thing. And this is as true as anything. And I observe it again and again. I see it in my own life. If you lose your joy, your work for the Lord is no longer worship. If you lose your joy, what you're doing right now is no longer worship. It's not honoring God. It's not for Him. You've forgotten that. What is, what is your spiritual act of worship? Submit ourselves fully over. To look at everything we do as our ministry. If you lose your joy, your work is no longer worship. You're doing it for something else. Maybe obligation. I don't know. There's a whole bunch of reasons that people do religious stuff. But it's not honoring God. It's not worshiping Him if you don't have the joy of the Lord. and If you don't understand. And again, I'm not saying this is not outward emotion. This is not, well, that's how I always have to be happy. I always have to. No. But you should remember when you're not. It's a realization of what you have, of what you've been given, because we forget. That's why I become desensitized. That's why the very first time when you first get saved, when you first are aware of what Jesus did, there's this excitement. There's this, you know, amazing celebratory. And then as time goes on, what? You forget the gift. You forget that the breath in your lungs this morning is the gift of God. It's His grace and mercy in your life. The fact that we're here right now is a blessing from God. And we forget. And we take for granted. So joy just centers us on Jesus. Joy just goes, wait a minute. I don't know what got you distracted. I don't know what you forgot, but you deserved hell. You deserve all kind of just tangible effects from all the crazy, you know, everything you've done, your choices. I don't know anybody that can look back and not see God's mercy on their life again and again and again. I haven't met that person yet. George Mueller was an evangelist. He was an orphanage director. Famous, tremendous faith. They say in his lifetime he took care of over 10,000 orphans. And joy was his first priority every day. Every day, first priority is to live with joy, to live joyful every single day. Because those kids, ultimately, their lives depended on that. That he was grounded in joy. That he didn't burn out in religion. Because your joy is bigger than you at some point. He said, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day, was to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state, how my inner life might be nourished. Joy protects you from serving God for all the wrong reasons. Working hard for Jesus becomes a cold and empty duty when we've lost 
the warmth of our love for him. Joy protects us from religion. It protects us from thinking that we work to gain God's approval. But on the other side, joy protects us from sin. It protects us from temptation. I watch helplessly far too often. People come to me for help in the middle of a struggle. And I know that trying to use everything and everybody to change this situation, I know I'm probably one step on a, you know, hundred step, you know, options. I know. I get it. I can tell. And it's so sad to me when they miss that what Jesus wants to change the most is them. All they can see is what's in front of them. But you don't understand, Pastor Brian, I'm going through this, and I've tried this, and I've done this, and I've said this, and I've wished this, and I've prayed this, and I've thought this. But this is in front of me, Pastor Brian. It's insurmountable. It's beyond. And I'm just going, Jesus is trying to meet you right there. I can see it. I can see it. What are you, what are you doing? You know, I was talking to... Uh, friend of mine the other day, close friend, about just losing all these people. And he said, you know, I don't get it. What makes us any different? He said, you know, all these guys that, you know, guys we grew up with, had good families, educated, not, you know, all this stuff. And yet some of them, they just, you know, they made the same bad choices that we did. But they, but they, you know what? I said, of course, it's the grace of God. It's obviously God works in the, behind all of this. But I said, my observation universally has been this. They held on to something. They weren't, they didn't get to the point where they were completely at the end of themselves in every single instance. Surrendering to Jesus was the plan B. You know how many funerals I've done for people that have said, well, you know, I'll, I'll follow up with you or Jamie, you know. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about chemical addiction. I'm talking about talking to people's marriages are destroyed and Families are being destroyed and their health's being destroyed. All kind of tragedy. All kind of struggle. You can't have become a Christian without getting to the end of yourself. Because the fundamental exchange in your salvation is you giving your life fully over to Jesus and if you reserve any part of you, you will spend most of your Christian walk fighting with God about that peace. But if you give him that, if life brings you, because I don't take credit. I didn't do this. I'm not saying, All right, you got to get to where I got to. I didn't get there on my own. I got there because there was absolutely nothing left. Because everything had been stripped away. I could have kept lying to myself like my friends that I could have kept saying, but I mean, who was I kidding? And Jesus met me in that place so profoundly that people come to me all the time trying to put things together, and I'm praying, man, I hope you get to the end of you. I hope God rips it all apart because you're missing the big picture for a little tiny thing. How can we be joy-filled Christians if we get all caught up in all this little stuff that we have no business worrying about, we have no business thinking about, we can't change it? 
You can't, have, you can't be a Christian and never surrendered your life to Jesus. That's, that's the exchange. And it's not just a one-time thing. I understand in salvation it's a one-time thing. We're justified. We don't have to get re-saved. But we need to submit ourselves to him again and again. If you don't have joy, then look at that. Dave Wilkinson, who was the founder of Teen Challenge, he said this. This was his original quote. And I'm going to take what I call pastoral license. You've heard of poetic license? This is like a level above that. He said, certainly we cannot claim a magical cure for addiction. The devil which hides in the needle, the pills, and the powder is so deadly strong that any such claim would be foolish. All we can say is that we have found a power that captures a person more strongly than narcotics. But he captures only to liberate. I love that expression, that he captures only to liberate. Here's, what I'm gonna, here's my pastoral uh, license to apply it to all of us. Certainly we cannot claim a magical cure for our addiction to sin. The father of lies distracts us with empty promises. But all we can say is that we have found a power that captures a person more strongly than anything else in the world, and he captures us only to liberate. See, Matthew Henry said, joy in the Lord will guard you from the empty pleasures the tempter uses to bait his hooks. Joy protects you because joy in Christ comes from being satisfied in Christ. Jonathan Edwards said, the enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. That means every longing you have, the only ultimate way to satisfy that longing is in Christ. Everything. Your emotional longing, your relational longing. We've explored this notion a little bit before too, but I, I preached at Teen Challenge and this theme came up. And I've said before, every single human being ever created longs to be fully known and fully loved. It's come up, this theme before. And we're sure that those are mutually, mutually exclusive. We're sure that if anybody knows us fully, they couldn't possibly love us. And that realization continues to affect us in our entire lives. If we get to the place that we realize that it is only through God that we are fully known and fully loved, that should, that should liberate us. That should create great joy. To go to heaven to fully enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Fathers, mothers, husbands, wives, children, the company of earthly friends, Edward says, are but shadows God is the substance. These are scattered beams. God is the sun. These are but streams, and God is the ocean. And he says this, When I get up from the table after Thanksgiving, the last thing I want is more food. I don't know if I could say that all the time. Sorry to interrupt a profound thought there. but You can't tempt me with another bite. It affects us in our discipleship. A joyful believer is already more than satisfied in Christ. What are you going to tempt me with? I mean, like what? Sometimes the enemy now, you know, will try, will try and it's like, you know, not that I'm not tempted. I don't mean to say that, but sometimes the enemy, it's like, come on, bro. That was like level two. I'm on like level 30 now. What are you doing? That's not going to work. Like, you're going to have to come at me sideways. You're going to have to do something different. Me and Jesus, we're right here, buddy. Like, what? But the enemy's going to keep trying. He's not going to give up. 
See, coal miners know if the canary's not singing, there's trouble on the way. If we're not rejoicing in the Lord, something's wrong already. Something's wrong right now today. Now, you can just identify it, or you can ignore it. You can pretend it's not there, or you can just let it get worse. Because if you can't find the joy of the Lord today, there's no future date at which that's going to be easier. Joy-filled lives, we've missed something that's not optional, it's foundational. James 1, 2, consider it joy, my brothers, when you face, when you uh, encounter various trials. Jamie and I have been preaching on this. How, we, how can we consider going through difficulties a reason to feel joy? Because he says, knowing the testing of our faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result, that you'll be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Remember what Freud said? Some days you're going to look back and the struggle is the most beautiful. Thank you, Sigmund. That's great. He got that one a long time ago. There's nothing new under the sun. I love it. You know, you sit in business meetings now and in business books. They're like, and if you're honest and you treat your, your customers kindly and you look at the long-term relationship instead of the short-term sale, it's going to be better long-term. Oh, really? You mean universal principles that God established work all the time? Oh, I thought, you know, when corporate America started that we threw that stuff out. No? It's still good advice? Wow, that's deep. Deep abiding joy comes when we persevere through, thr- through trials, and with God's help, our faith matures. It's strengthened. Faith is not simply a belief in something. It's a relationship with someone. That's why Jesus tells us to love God above all, because if we don't, we cannot know joy. Why? Because if we're not worshiping God above, above everything else, we're worshiping something else. How are you going to know joy when you're ignoring the source of joy? It's going to be a, an effort in futility and frustration. To have the fruit of joy ripen in our lives, we need to realize it's a process. It's part of sanctification. It's part of becoming more like Christ. Joy is a gift of our salvation. It should be growing in our sanctification. That means you should be learning to live with increasing joy. And it becomes the basis of our ministry. If you're not joyful, I don't want you to welcome people as they come in. And be like, yeah, I don't know why they got you today. Welcome to South Coast Church. I'm the welcome. I'm on the welcome committee. I signed up. I'm serving. Pastor says it's good to serve. Some of us walk around like that, like that's just how Christians are. Oh, man. Oh, get yourself. Do the first business of the day. Center yourself in Jesus. Lord, thank you for another day, for another opportunity, for your grace and mercy, for your forgiveness, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to go forward joyful today. James can say, consider it pure joy because in trouble he's aware of the process. He knows what's happening. It's the notion again of growth versus comfort. James is saying right now in the midst of whatever you're going through, you have an opportunity to grow deeper in your faith with Jesus, deeper in your understanding of who he is. You get to walk with Jesus in a really deep, profound way right now. And that's why James is saying, look at the opportunity, consider it pure joy. Not because he's some sadist, not because he's some naive, utopian, you know, 
the world's unicorns and rainbows? No, not because of any of that. Because he knows. Because he's been through some things. And he says, you know, in my life, the time where, where the Lord showed up, you know, the time when I when I meant the most, when I felt the power of God, is in the middle of difficulties. It's in struggles. Consider it pure joy. You're going through something right now. Praise the Lord. Good. Not good because I hope it makes you worse of a person, because I hope it harms you. Good because I hope it allows you to grow. And lastly, joy inevitably makes us good evangelists. The Apostle Paul, imprisoned in Rome, writes his letter to the Philippians. Great study in the difference between joy and happiness. Sixteen times mentions the derivative of the word joy. He's in jail. Things aren't going according to plan. Paul could have wrote a letter and just be like, guys, I've been serving the Lord. It's been crazy. You know, all this stuff that's happened to me, I've been stoned, shipwrecked, beaten, all this stuff. I'm in jail. It's horrible. I'm done. He, Jesus doesn't love me. This is not what I signed up for. Right? Paul had every reason to be discouraged. Paul had every reason to be like, uh, can you all pray for me? Can you send me some money? Can you, you know, visit? Can you bring me food? Like, guys, I really need you right now. I'm in trouble. But Paul's like, you know what? I'm going to use this opportunity to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, to encourage the other believers, to express the joy I have in him. And he teaches us how to have true contentment in Jesus despite our circumstances. Paul's in chains. His life's coming to an end. And in Philippians 1, 12 through 24, he said, Because of his two-year imprisonment, Acts 28, 30, the whole Roman God heard the gospel from him. The gospel is being spread throughout Rome because of his imprisonment. Paul's like, yeah, I went to jail, but people heard about Jesus. Who cares? What are you looking at, the jail thing? Because we should be looking at the Jesus thing. That's the bigger thing, right? 1 Corinthians 9.22, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so I may become a fellow partaker of it. Man, that ought to stir up joy in our hearts that Paul knew Jesus in that sustaining, motivating way. Philippians 1, verse 18, Paul says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. I don't care what happens to me. I don't care what they do to me. I don't care what they write about me. I don't care what they say. I don't care what the rumors are. I don't care what they take. Because I will keep proclaiming Jesus until the day I die. And that gospel will go forward. And people will say, how did he have such joy in the midst of such persecution? And they'll say to bring glory to Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to encourage others to have peace knowing that God will be our strength. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And, and later on in verse 19, and supplies our needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Right now, what 
what, with everything going on, what will stand out to people is Christians who are living joy-filled lives in the midst of whatever comes our way. If your neighbors, everybody's going crazy, everybody's up in arms, everybody's worried, and everybody, and you're doing the same thing as, as they are, then what, Jesus isn't making any difference to you, right? But if you can rest knowing that the Lord's not surprised, that he didn't stop working, that Jesus isn't up there with his mask on saying, oh, once COVID clears up, I'll be back with you guys. And, and really, in, in light of history, and I dare I offend you with this, but we're, we're, we're kind of babies a little bit because in light of history and what people have went through through the ages in terms of violence and persecution and illness and, like, come on, really? You're going to spend some time alone. Dare I say that we, we might have a little bit more time to read our Bibles I'm going to have the worship team come up now. There's a couple things in particular because I want to take the time to go through it. And so next week I'm going to talk about some of the things that just so obviously hinder but I want to take a few minutes right now and I want to have you close your eyes. And I just want to allow the Holy Spirit an opportunity to do some pruning in our lives before we close with worship. To allow God's Spirit to prompt us to acknowledge, to confess, to repent. Are you living a joy-filled life? Ask yourself that. And if you are, praise the Lord. And if you are, I would encourage you to find ways to help disciple others, to find ways to serve, because we need, we need that joy-filled life. We need that, that's catchy. Maybe you're involved in a conflict with somebody, and that's stealing your joy. Confess that. Meet with the person. Resolve the issue if you can. Maybe God's hand is heavy upon you because of some, some sin you've not confessed you've not repented of don't keep silent any longer we're going to look at next week the effect sin had on David and on his worship how he allowed that lack of repentance to chew up his joy but when he repented when we acknowledge our failing when we seek his forgiveness he lifts our countenance he increases our joy lost joy can be restored in fact as a result of its discouragement as a result of being discontent, having conflict, having open sin, David was entirely wiped out spiritually. His joy was a long lost memory and yet he boldly prays in Psalm 51:12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. God honored David's prayer and he will honor ours. Let us take the time to make sure that at South Coast we stay singing like the canaries. And let's pray for and let's come alongside. Let's encourage others when we hear the singing stop in their lives. Let's not wait. It takes time and constant effort to cultivate the conditions in our heart for joy.
But Jesus claims that he came that men may have life and have it more abundantly. To be a follower of Jesus, to know who he is and what he means, is to have a super abundance of life. When we walk with Jesus, we have a new vitality, an abundant, vibrant, joy-filled life. So Lord, I pray now as we transition to worship, Lord, that even now that your spirit permeate this place, Lord, that you, that you meet us, that you draw us into a place of repentance, into a place of surrender, no matter where we are, God. Let us not hold anything back. Let us not keep anything in reserve, but let us give it all to you and see that you seek to fill us with your joy, your peace, your strength. Despite what happens around us, you promise to remain inside us. Lord, we love you. We worship you this morning. Help us to do that in spirit and in truth. Continue to minister this word to us throughout the day, God. Let us apply it. Let us be joy-filled Christians. Let people say those people at South Coast are filled with an overflowing joy. That people ask us, what is it about you? And we can proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Stand as we worship together.
Yes, God, you are holy. Yes, Lord, we trust you, Father God. Our joy is found in you, Father. Help us to be reminded of that every day, Father. We give you glory in all things, Lord. Help us shine for you, Father. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name.